Hello, and welcome to this episode of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm D.P. Lyle, your host. Today is a special day because it's the release day for a brand new thriller series of mine. I call it the Kane Harper series, and it uh, features Bobby Kane and Harper McCoy. And yes, I use Kane's last name and Harper's first name for this series because it's set in the South. They're Southerners, and Southern guys always use each other's last names, and Southern women tend to use each other's first names, but not always. So it's the Kane Harper series. Uh, this book, the first in this episode, is titled Skin in the Game. And what I want to do is read from Chapter 6. Now, earlier in the story, just to give you some perspective, a uh, young woman has escaped from her captor. This took place a month earlier. Then on this day, the day that the story begins, uh, some uh, partial remains are found in a small town uh, in Tennessee uh, near uh, Thames Ford Lake, uh, which is kind of in central Tennessee. Um, and Kane and Harper live in Nashville. And they have been uh, contacted by their attorney, a guy named Milner, who kind of sets up their cases for them. They are fixers, as it were, as you will see. Uh, and they uh, have a case presented to them, and they need to go down to this uh, area called Leaper's Fork, which is down near Franklin, Tennessee, great little town about 20 miles uh, south of Nashville. So... Uh, chapter 6 should give you the lay of the land as far as who these two characters are and also the gist of this story. So let's just jump right into it. Chapter 6. Kane returned home to collect Harper for the drive to Leaper's Fork, a trip that raised ambivalent feelings. Sure, it would be good to see General Kessler again. It had been many years. On the other side of the world, each with sand and grit in their hair, eyes everywhere. Cain with fresh blood on his hands. But under these circumstances? Kessler obviously adored his granddaughter, and with her parents succumbing to premature deaths, he and Miriam had essentially raised the girl. If she was truly missing and not off on some college kid's adventure, they would be crushed, even a tough old bird like Kessler. Cain heard the hiss of the shower coming from Harper's room, indicating she had finished her workout. He knew she'd be ready to roll within minutes of stepping from beneath the spray. Harper wasn't one to primp, or waste time. Three years ago, a year after they had started their consulting, that nowhere near covered what they actually did. Not sure there was a word for that. They had purchased the entire top floor of St. Germain Place before it was built out. They designed the space as a single unit with four bedrooms, an office, and a well-equipped gym that included a throwing area for Kane to remain proficient with his knives. A shooting gallery for Harper and her weapons would have been nice, but that would have violated a dozen city codes. It was all wrapped in 360-degree views of the city's heart, the football stadium, and the Cumberland River. What's this about, Harper asked, as Kane pulled from the underground parking. He had called her as he left Milner's office, telling her to get ready for a road trip, probably just for the day, as usual, to prep for a couple, but as usual, to prep for a couple of more. You just never knew. Cindy Grant, General Kessler's granddaughter, has gone missing. Gone missing in a bad way? Maybe. 
Kane avoided the interstate as traffic there was unpredictable and most often snarled, instead following a more direct route, Highway 431, then 46, which melted into the one-street village of Leaper's Fork. Calling it a village was a stretch, the downtown area being a couple of blocks long and the stores and restaurants sparse. Beyond the highway resumed, becoming Old Hillsboro Road, a two-lane blacktop that wound through rolling hills and thick stands of pines and gums and oaks. A half-mile south of town, General William Kessler's estate came into view. Impressive, Harper said. As Milder had described, its stone construction brought to mind a medieval castle, backed up against a hillock of dark green pines that possessed a commanding view of the general's acreage, plenty of that, and the valley below. Civilian life had been good to the Kesslers. Kane knew their money had come from real estate and shrewd investing, not to mention the various boards the general sat on. They were buzzed through the gate that stretched between two thick river-rock columns and continued up two hundred yards of winding drive that ended at a paved parking circle. A stone archway led to a pair of massive wooden entry doors. As Kane reached for the buzzer, one door swung open. Miriam Kessler, thin, gray hair trimmed short. She wore black slacks and a lemon silk blouse. Kane knew she was sixty-eight, but she appeared a dozen years younger. Less so today. Miriam had been at the general's side through everything, countless state dinners and military processions. Now she devoted her time to charities and fundraising. Bobby Kane, she said, it's been a long time. How are you, Miriam? We've definitely been better. I don't think you've met my sister, Harper. I've heard about you, though, Miriam said, shaking Harper's hand. Please come in. Kane and Harper entered, and she closed the door. Thank you for coming, Miriam said, on such short notice. Anything for the general. It's been a tough week, Miriam said. Bill is beside himself. Kane remembered Miriam as always appearing fit, healthy, alive. Now she wore a haggard, exhausted mantle. Stress lines cut into her face, her hair gray and tired. Her eyes held an irritated redness and a hint of puffiness. She looked like someone enveloped in a personal hell. Yet through that mask a glow of strength and resiliency persisted. Like so many military wives, she was a warrior. Bill's in his study. She led them through a voluminous foyer that, and into a great room that was exactly that, ceilings that soared twenty-five feet above them, maybe more, and a massive stone fireplace large enough to park a car inside. Plush sofas, antiques everywhere, and twenty-foot windows filling one wall. Can I get you something, she asked over her shoulder. I'm sure Bill will want some lemonade. That would be fine, Kane said. They entered the general's equally impressive study. Kessler stood and came around his desk, hand extended, now silhouetted against cathedral windows that looked out over the rolling hills of green grass and wads of thick pines. He wore gray slacks and a dark blue shirt, his hair silver, eyes deeply blue. Bobby Kane, he said, it's been a long time. Yes, it has. They shook hands. Kane introduced Harper, and they took seats facing Kessler, who again settled into his oxblood leather chair. Wish it were under better circumstances, Kessler said. Did you have any trouble finding us? None at all. Good. Good. 
Miriam returned with three glasses of lemonade. Anything else, she asked? No, Kessler said. Thanks. He offered her a sad smile. Then I'll leave you to talk business. Kessler watched her go, waiting until the door closed behind her. She's taking this harder than me, and that's pretty hard. I imagine so, Kane said. You know about loss. Kane stared at him. First being abandoned at, what was it, two months? That's what I was told. The murder of your adoptive parents while you were overseas? Kane nodded. And you, Harper, abandoned, actually sold, by your, by your mother. You've done your homework, Kane said, as I'm sure you have, and will. Kessler studied them for a beat, sighed. The upshot is that I know each of you understand loss. From what I was told, your granddaughter is missing, Harper said. That doesn't mean something has happened to her. I wish that was true. He folded his hands before him. But I'm a pragmatic man. Always have been. He glanced at the door again. I know the odds of her being alive are remote. Essentially non-existent. It's been a week now, and she hasn't responded. Her cell phone no longer receives calls. Something has happened. Something unpleasant. Kane wanted to reassure him, but knew he really couldn't, mainly because the odds dictated he was correct. Still, he tried. She's a college kid. They do stupid things all the time, like going away and forgetting to call. Not Cindy. Even when she was in Europe a couple of years ago, she called every day, like clockwork. It's in her nature. Do you have any evidence that something's happened, Harper asked? Specifically? No. Kessler shook his head. I did call her roommate, a girl named Kelly Whit. She said Cindy told her she was going to Colorado for a few days. She hasn't heard from her since she left. Did she, I asked, go to Colorado? She didn't fly, or take a train, or run a car, or use any of her credit cards, and her cell phone went out after about 48 hours. Its last known position was in Nashville. Kane was impressed, but not surprised. A retired general who had spent much of his life in intelligence, who ran dark ops in many of the most treacherous places on earth, could get his hands on just about any information he needed. Milner was a bit cryptic when he spoke. Exactly why are we here, Kane asked. Because I want you to find her, or discover what happened to her. He hesitated, and make things right. I'm sure Milner told you we don't do missing persons. Kessler leaned back in his chair, spun it slightly so he could gaze out the windows for a beat. He sighed, a deep mournful sigh. Let me ask you something. He swiveled back around. How many knives do you have on you right now? That you could find? Three or four. Kessler nodded. The tools of your trade. Kane remained silent. Let me tell you a story, Kessler said as he leaned back. There was a boy, raised by a wandering gypsy band, became an expert with knives <clears throat> at a very early age. He put on knife-throwing exhibitions all over the South, part of the traveling show. He also became an expert second-story second thief. He had many talents. He steepled his fingers before him. An arrest, an orphanage, and an adoption followed. Then on to the U.S. Army. He was 18. He scratched the back of one hand and then re-steepled his fingers. His military career was destined to be bland, normal. 
But then his Sears training drew some attention. If memory serves, he stayed off the radar for a week <clears throat> and then suddenly appeared in his CO's office. Something like that, anyway. Kessler offered a half-smile, ruffled more than a few feathers. Kessler had definitely done his due diligence. <clears throat> but our hero's shenanigans attracted the attention of the Pentagon, a few other agencies, and his military career took a sudden turn. Ranger school, SEAL and Delta training, followed by various special ops missions, intelligence gathering, communication and supply disruptions, and a few targeted eliminations. Most, but not all, sanctioned. He held Gaines, Kane's gaze for a beat, yet each necessary. Kessler leaned back again, arms folded over his chest. Then his parents were murdered by three men. Each later met an unexpected and not-so-pleasant dem demise. Again, Kane said nothing. Our protagonist in this little tale then left the military, but not, for lack of a better term, special ops. Only his employers changed private rather than military. His methods? Well, let's just say the military, his gypsy family too, trained him well. Still, Kane remained silent. Then there's another tale. Child sold to an itinerant family by her alcoholic half-Cherokee mother. Smart, precocious. Family disrupted when their past caught up with them. Orphanage, adoption, also military. Intelligence, psyops, CIA, our heroine proved quite adept at running off-the-grid ops, the kind that could slam you in front of a Senate subcommittee. He gave a half-shrug, then a chance reunion in a hellhole. Kane wasn't really surprised that Kessler knew his background in intimate detail. They had a history. Kessler had run several of Kane's missions. But Harper? Kessler didn't know her, no military connection, yet Kessler had gone deep. So let's get down to it, Kessler said. <clears throat> I know. I can feel it in my bones, and my bones are always right, that I will never see Cindy alive again. Another glance toward the door. I know that for a fact. She didn't run off somewhere. Forget to call. This isn't money-driven, not a ransom. This is something much worse, more final. Are you sure we're the right people for the job, Kane asked. Kessler leaned forward, his fist balled on his desk before him. We're soldiers, each of us, trained to do the tough jobs, the ones no one else will do. He, lo he locked on Kane. I know about Afghanistan. I know about the ones that killed your family in Tyler, Texas. Now his attention turned to Harper. I know how deeply secret psyops. I know about deeply secret psyops, most well below the threshold of visibility. I know much of the work you've done together over the past few years. His fist relaxed. So yes, you're the ones for this mission. Mission. Interesting word choice, but not unexpected coming from Kessler. Kane nodded. What do you want us to do? Kessler's blue eyes took on an extra intensity. This is a military operation. A war, if you will. One where we, not the enemy, dictate the rules of engagement. You know me. No, I'm more of the General George S. Patton school. Stonewall Jackson, too. Never wait. Take the battle to the enemy. I want Cindy found. Dead, alive, whatever, I want her found. I want those who took her to feel the full weight of their actions. If she's been harmed, I want those responsible harmed. If she's been tortured, then pain and mortal fear should come their way. 
If she's been murdered, I want them to suffer a similar fate. His face darkened. That's what I want. That was chapter 6, and so the story begins. I hope this gives you a feel for who Bobby Kane and Harper McCoy are, what their job description is, as it were, and what this story is all about. And from here, they they enter an entire world of uh, of missing people and and trafficking and small towns and and bad people and 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 they each have to use their skills to 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 find out what's going on and even to survive. So this is called Skin in the Game, and it's the first in this series. There will be others to come. In fact. Uh, I'm just finishing the second rewrite, so third pass through the next in this series, um, and and hopefully it'll be out a year from now. Um, so, skin in the game. I hope you'll pick up a copy and read the entire story, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, shoot me a note and uh, let me know. So this has been uh, this episode of uh, Criminal Mischief, the art and science of crime fiction. And until next time, this has been D.P. Lyle. Thanks for listening in.